Well, good morning, everybody. Um, and I am the guy that uh, Trent, Pastor Trent, prayed for. Uh, Colleen and I are uh, going on vacation. I have to tell you, I, I'm, I feel tired in my body. I really do. And, uh, but I feel so energized in my spirit. And, you know, just try to juxtapose those two things. I really do. Um, but we are looking forward just to uh, just a, ch a change of pace. And I know that many of you need that as well. Uh, so thanks, Trent, for, for doing that today. Uh, we're in a series, as you just noticed on that uh, preceding video, um, that we're in a series that you have created for us. And you've heard from different people in our congregation about why they chose a particular verse or passage of Scripture that they would like to hear us preach on. And this particular passage is Ecclesiastes 3, verses 1 to 8, and it was uh, submitted to us by Jill Bradley, her husband, uh, Carmen, is sitting in the back here. Uh, but Jill Bradley submitted this, and she's going to just tell us today why she loves this passage. Hi. For those of you who don't know me, my name is Jill Bradley. I have been attending First NAS for over a decade. My go-to Bible reference is Ecclesiastes 3, 1 to 8. It is painted on our china cabinet and on our bedroom ceiling where it can speak to me, scowl at me, and smile at me, depending on what challenges I'm facing in my life. Ecclesiastes means one who convenes or addresses an assembly. The theme is the futility of life without God. We are totally dependent on God's timing to determine all. There have been many times in my life when I was absolutely sure that God had forgotten about me. Many other times, I was certain of his love and presence. These verses address virtually all circumstances of life. Everyone goes through numerous unique trials, which can only be solved by God in his perfect timing. When I can't do anything about changing one crisis area, I need to be patient, trusting, and change focus to another circumstance that may be in better season. However, this can be tough when the impact of a catastrophic childhood lasts for a lifetime. The first time I ever thought about the verses was as a teen when the song Turn, Turn, Turn came out in 1965. Two years later, at age 16, while the Vietnam War was raging and the Detroit riot was unfolding, remember Gordon Lightfoot's Black Day in July? I lived in Detroit and was home alone with no power, no phone, reddened skies, and soldiers and tanks in the streets. The opposite situation to war is peace, which allowed me a different focus at that time, trusting in John 14, 27. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. Verse 3 has very special meaning to me. A time to kill and a time to heal. At another crisis point in my life, I had an ultrasound for an unrelated problem. The technician accidentally let the wand slip and discovered two malignant tumors. Two weeks later, I was shivering on an operating table when I suddenly sensed the reassuring presence of God and that he had this all in hand. The major surgery killed the cancer, and I soon healed, short a few body parts. 
Verse four reminds me to laugh at life and that I can simultaneously mourn for and dance in joy for those who have gone home to be with the Lord. Verse seven talks about a time to be silent or to speak out. To me, this means God. Do I speak out now or not? James 1.19 reinforces this thought, stating, Understand this, my dear brothers and sisters. You must all be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to get angry. Now that I am in my senior years, my childhood tribulations have pretty much been overcome through more joyous seasons of marriage, family, and friends. God continues to bless me with this passage, especially when I am unsure worried or confused because there is always hope in Christ. Well, thank you, Jill, for uh, bringing that uh, testimonial to us. And so I want to begin by just talking about uh, American poet and essayist Walt Whitman. You may have heard of him. Uh, he wrote a poem called Song of Myself, and I just want to quote an excerpt from this poem in which he talks about what he considered to be the carefree existence of animals. He says this, and I'm quoting, they are so placid and self-contained. They do not lie awake in the dark and weep for their sins. They do not make me sick discussing their duties to God. He says, not one is dissatisfied, not one demented with the mania of owning things, kind of like this cat image that you're going to see here. I mean, there's nothing and no one more carefree than a cat. Um, so anyway, we humans are not like that. We suffer guilt and shame um, over the past. We worry about the future. Sometimes we lie awake at night fretting about things. But God has created us different than animals and plants and other living things. We're, we as humans are uniquely equipped to contemplate, to think about the deeper meaning of life and why it is that we are on this earth, to contemplate the mysteries of life and the universe, and to grieve over the injustices that we see. Now, I don't, as a pastor, I do not claim to have this all figured out. I don't have all the answers, but I have to admit that there's some things in life that do puzzle me. There's things in the Bible that puzzle me. But through it all, I realize that God is there. He exists. He is there. He is not silent. And he cares about me and you and all of humanity. And God is sovereign. He is in control even when I am not in control. So through the good and the bad and the ugly times in life, I can find a way to rest and relax in him and just let God be God. And he's been teaching me that. By the way, that is not natural for me or for anybody. The only way that I can learn to do that is I need to spend time with God every day. That's free. That wasn't in the notes. So this knowledge that God is sovereign, that he really is there, 
is it keeps me resilient. It means that when I'm, when I'm a little bit down and I'm confused, I can snap back a bit more quickly to a place, as Jill Bradley talked about, to a place of peace. And it means I need to submit to God's sovereignty. Just because God is here and just because God is sovereign doesn't mean everything's okay with your life. There needs to be some submission on your part. We need to participate in what God wants to do in our lives. Somebody once wisely said, can you give me uh, a statement that I can repeat to myself that when the times are really good, I don't get too overconfident. When the times are really bad, I don't get too depressed. And they said, yeah, this too shall pass. You know what? Good times come and go. Bad times come and go. But through it all, God is sovereign. So I got last year, I forget when it was, I think it was spring, uh, probably uh, mid to late spring, I got an email from uh, a woman, um, a young lady. Uh, she was married uh, for about probably four years or so. I had officiated at their wedding about four years prior, and I get this email out of the blue, and she said something in there like, hey, I don't know if you remember me, but you did our wedding, and of course I did remember. And, uh, and so she just said, I really need to talk to you if I can. And, um, and by the way, uh, we, we, we've got somebody crawling around on the floor there, one of the kids. If any of you get bored and you want to do that, just feel free to just, okay. Um, so anyway, uh, she, in the midst of this email, she said that she was experiencing an existential crisis. And I thought I knew what she meant. Um, so I got back to her, and we started meeting on Zoom because we were in the pandemic, and we're meeting on Zoom, and I am praying uh, between the meetings. I'm praying during the meeting, and I'm saying, Lord, just guide me. I knew that she had come from a Christian home, uh, but she had wandered from her faith, and you know she wasn't going to church or any, anything like that, or at least not too much. And, um, and so, long story short, she began to just talk about, you know, like, my, I'm successful, my husband is successful, you know, we've got a beautiful home, everything is great. But I, I feel empty. It just, I don't know what my life is, you know. That's the existential crisis. It just doesn't, there's just nothing there. And so, I was able to lead her to Christ. And I told her how she could do that on her own. I didn't pressure her. I said, would you let me know when you've made that decision? The next time we met, she said, by the way, I made the decision. And I know she wants me to baptize her. She said, once things loosen up with the pandemic, so you might get a chance to meet her one day. And so some of you might be facing that kind of existential crisis in your life, you know, where you're like, you know... Everything is good around me, or maybe they're not. <laughs> Things aren't good. But either way, that you feel a sense of angst, and you're wondering, is this all there is to life? And even if you're a Christian, you can wonder that sometimes. And so that brings us to the scripture that uh, Jill Bradley loves so much and that she has on her, um, on her china cabinet. Uh, and it's actually a beautiful, it's a picture of their family, you know, with their kids and, and all of that. And then I think on the, on the plaque, Carmen, you're in the back there. I think the Ecclesiastes verses 1 to 8, chapter 3, is, is all the way around the perimeter of that, that picture frame. And so this is what it says, okay? And so I'm going to read, and this is going to come up um, on the screen. So at Ecclesiastes chapter 3, now, 
in Ecclesiastes, it's believed that this was written by Solomon, son of David, uh, King Solomon, um, and that he's referred to as the teacher, the preacher, you know. Um, so the teacher, Solomon, says this, there is a time for everything and a reason for every activity under the heavens, a time to be born and a time to die, a time to plant and a time to uproot, a time to kill and a time to heal, a time to tear down and a time to build, a time to weep and a time to laugh, a time to mourn and a time to dance, a time to scatter stones and a time to gather them, a time to embrace and a time to refrain from embracing. Some people don't know that. Okay. A time to search and a time to give up, a time to keep and a time to throw away, a time to tear and a time to mend, a time to be silent and a time to speak, a time to be silent and a time to speak, a time to love and a time to hate, a time for war and a time for peace. So the teacher uh, is explaining to us the rhythms of life and the paradoxes of life. This is called, Ecclesiastes is what's called wisdom literature. It's part of the wisdom literature of the Bible. The word wisdom, the biblical idea of wisdom is this, is to see yourself, your life, and the world from God's point of view. That's how you learn wisdom. You say, God, help me to understand things from your perspective. Lord, teach me. That is wisdom. So the first thing we learn here is there is an appropriate time for everything under heaven. That's what verse 1 said of chapter 3. There's a time for everything and a season for every activity under the heavens. So there's 14 pairs of polar opposites, you know, love, hate, war, peace, life, death, going on in this passage. The writer has the whole of life in view as he writes this, and he has in mind all these conflicting actions, emotions, and events of the typical human life on earth. And when he says there is a time for everything, the Old Testament was translated into Greek, uh, and it's called the Septuagint. This was, this was done a couple thousand years ago, okay? And it's called the Septuagint. It was translated into the Greek language because Greek was kind of like English is today, kind of like a global language. And the Greek word for time, when it says there's a time for everything, is not the word chronos, chronological, you know, where time is ticking, you know, the arrow of time, tick, 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 tick. No. It's kairos, K-A-I-R-O-S. And kairos is, refers to the appropriate time, the right time, the appointed time. It's God's time. You know, in Galatians chapter 3, it says, at the appointed time, at the right time, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem us. God chose a particular time. Trent who was up here praying for us today and giving those announcements. Trent often uses the word seasons, you know, and that's, I kind of picked up that language from you. Um, this last 14 months, you know, we've been in a season of COVID-19. And the pandemic can be looked at as chronos, you know, the clock is ticking, when is it going to be over? Tick, 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 when's it going to be over? 
when we'll be able to get back to some version of normal. Or you can look at it as kairos and say, hmm, is there an opportunity? Is this an opportune time for me to learn, to grow, to surrender? Maybe with all the angst of what we're going through, and it doesn't feel good. Can we look at it as Kairos and say, God, what is it you want to teach me, teach us? What is it you want us to learn? How, how can I grow through this? So life is like an interesting piece of classical music. My wife, of course, was trained classically, and, and she's enriched my musical life. But sometimes if you listen to a really great classical masterpiece, sometimes you'll notice that, that there's uh, different movements in the song. There's different movements, they call them, right? And sometimes the movement is, is sweet, it's melodious, you know, um, it's got these beautiful flowing melodies and you're just soaring along and then there's another movement that comes along and it's more discordant and it might sound disturbing and angry life is like that there's different rhythms to life the cycles of life according to solomon according to the word of god is they're appointed by god our purpose in life is embedded in god's cosmic purpose so there is a time and a season for every activity there is a purpose for everything in life that doesn't mean that god made every bad thing happen it just means that god through those bad events can bring about his purpose anyway he has a way of doing that. When Joseph, in the book of Genesis, was betrayed by his brothers and then falsely accused of rape and ended up in prison and all of that, God used all that adversity to bring about a good result. Joseph may not have known it at the time. He probably didn't know exactly what was going on. But he trusted God. So everything in life has its rightful place. So in these passages that we're studying right now and if actually if you look at ecclesiastes chapter one chapter two and the first 10 verses of chapter three um, it actually describes the futility of life the emptiness of life without the presence and the activity of god and you could even conclude that there is a god you know some people do this there's a god but he's forgotten us that's kind of called, that's called deism. Deism is this belief that there was a God who created everything. He created us, but then he got bored and he left and he maybe started other universes or something like that. But now we're on our own. He's left us as orphans. And that's not what the Bible teaches. So after this poetic, um, you know, uh, this poem in verses 1 to 8, the teacher says this, and I want to bring us here to verses 9 and 10. He said, so what do workers gain? What do we gain from their toil? I have seen the burden God has laid on the human race. That's that existential crisis again. So yes, we can acknowledge that there is a God who is present and active in his creation and that there is an appropriate time for everything. We can acknowledge that. But on the human level, we don't really know what time it is. Do you know what time it is? Let's see. 
It's 1041 a.m. Sunday, May 30th in the year of our Lord, 2021. Is that what time it is? That's Kronos. What time are we in? What about the times and the season that we're in? That's the really important question. How are we to understand what God is up to and wants to be up to during this time? And so we can... Actually, I'm going to back up a bit. There's a song by the rock band called Chicago. Uh, some of you might be familiar with them. But they had a song called, Do You Really Know What Time It Is? Does anybody really know what time it is? Does anybody really care? And the writer of that song in the band said that this song stresses the importance of taking time to appreciate the small pleasures in life, to appreciate the people around you, just the day-to-day -day stuff, to be still, to stop and smell the roses, and not just rushing from place to place against the clock. He's talking really about kairos. So on a human level, we don't always know what time it is, the times that we're living in. We don't always understand it. We don't always understand what's going on in our lives, and you know, why did this happen? Why did that happen? It's usually years later, maybe decades later, when we can look back, you know, the retrospective view, we can look back and go, oh, I get what was going on there. Now I know why I got cancer and God delivered me. Now it makes sense. It was so that he could bring about this and this and this and this. Didn't feel good at the time. I didn't get it at the time. But now I can see the pattern. So we have this limited knowledge and understanding of our life in this world. We really do. And that should keep us from being arrogant. You ever meet people that are really arrogant about the future? Yeah, I got this. <laughs> Boy, I tell you. You know, James chapter 4 says this. Now listen, you who say, today or tomorrow, we're going to go to this or that city, spend a year there, conduct business, and make money for ourselves. And the writer in James chapter 4, he says, why, you don't even know what you're talking about. What is your life? You don't even know if you'll be alive tomorrow. You are just a mist that appears and then vanishes. Instead, you should say, if it is the Lord's will, we will live and do this or that. And then he says, all such boasting is evil. And he's saying, we shouldn't be arrogant. We should be humble about the fact that we don't always understand what God is doing. And if we're willing to submit to God and surrender ourselves to the uncertainties of life with all its ups and downs, then we can find a way to be content no matter what the circumstances because I don't understand, but I know God's in control. And that's good enough for me. So when a Kairos moment takes place, like the pandemic, we might not, we might not always recognize it, but we should recognize in life that there is a purpose that God wants to accomplish through everything that we experience in life. You know, if I was to ask you right now, do you believe that life has meaning? 
I think you, you're sitting in church. I'm guessing all of you believe life has meaning. Do you understand fully, 100%, the meaning of life? You may say, well, I'm, I'm studying the Bible. <laughs> I seek God and I listen, but I don't think I have it quite, you know, all figured out yet. I think that would be an honest statement. We're learning and we're growing. I don't have to understand the full meaning to know that there is meaning. So at the end of the day, we can't know what is unknowable. I love this. Deuteronomy 29, 29. Can you remember that? 29, 29. It says, The secret things belong to the Lord our God, but the things revealed belong to us and our children. God has revealed certain things, but he hasn't revealed everything to us. There are still mysteries out there. And so what we need to do is commit ourselves to the one who knows all things, the God of mysteries, who set everything in motion at the beginning. Just submit to him. Say, God, you're sovereign you know it all. You know the beginning from the end. I don't, and I don't need to. So it's all about perspective. We need to learn to appreciate the divine perspective on life, that we're not in control, but we are, we are characters in a God story that he is writing, and he gives us a part to play in it. So the difference between enjoying your life and hating your life stems from how you look at it and if you're willing to submit to his sovereignty. Can we get to a place where we can accept every day as a gift from the hand of God? God, today is a gift from you, even if it's one of those gray, cloudy, rainy Mondays and you're feeling a little blue, you can still say, God, I'm alive. And I could see the rhythms of life. There's an ebb and there's a flow. There's ups and there's downs and there's different movements to life. And I know that you can even use this blue Monday, you know? And then you can read over human history. And he is bringing it to its final climax one day in Christ. The Bible says God is over all and through all and in all. He is sovereign. We're not. And that doesn't mean that God micromanages every single detail of our lives, but he is willing to direct our lives and to guide us along his path. Even if we make mistakes and we fall into sin, I want to ask you a question. Can God, come on, really, just if you're courageous, you can raise your hand. Can God redeem our mistakes of course he can. Can God redeem our sins? Of course he can. That's the story of the Bible. You know, we don't have to get it perfect every time. Yeah, take life seriously and take what God has given us seriously, but we have to find a way to not get, you know, overstressed over getting everything perfect and understanding everything. At the end of the day, we don't have to know what is unknowable. We can just... Come to a place where we can accept that God knows all these things and he will redeem all things. And so um, I just want to bring this kind of to an end here, and then we're going to pray together.
But this is what it says in verse 11, and this really wraps it all up. So after he said, you know, God has laid this burden upon us, you know, one day after another and so on, this is what verse 11 says. He has made everything beautiful in its time, Kairos. He also has set eternity in the human heart. So we long for eternity. Yet no one can fathom what God has done from beginning to end. That's just what I was talking about. We can't fathom what God has done from beginning to end. We don't understand it all. We can't figure it all out. But he makes everything beautiful in this time. Can we hold on to that promise? Up to this point in Ecclesiastes, um, we have learned that on our own, in our own human wisdom, we can't figure it out and we cannot find contentment. But with God, we can. We were made for another world. That's what it means when it says that he set eternity in the human heart. Deep within each one of us, God has placed a longing for him, a longing for his kingdom to come when he will set to rights all that is wrong in our lives. He's put within us a longing for himself. Psalm 63, verse 1, David prays, Oh God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My body longs for you in a dry and weary land where there is no water. Yeah, we live in a dry and weary land, and it often feels that way in life, doesn't it? But we thirst for God. We long for him. So God is not this deistic God who created us and then left and orphaned us. He's able to make everything beautiful in its time. Jill Bradley talked about being patient. Amen? Come on. Let's let go and let God. Let's be patient. James chapter 5 talks about the farmer who's patient. He sows the crop and he waits. You know, after he sows the seed, he waits for the crop. We need to wait. We need to be patient. I, I often reference this, but Bill and Gloria Gaither, years ago, I think in the 1970s, he wrote a song called Something Beautiful. And the words go, something beautiful, something good. All my confusion, he understood. All I had to offer him was brokenness and strife. But he made something beautiful out of my life. God can do that. He loves to do that. So what about you? By the way, favorite verse in the Bible for some of you, Romans 8.28. Nobody asked me to preach on this or asked Trent to preach on this. Romans 8.28. And we know that God is able yeah, to bring everything around to good for those who love him and are called according to his purpose. He could take the bad and bring it to good. And so, what about your time? What time are you living in? In Ephesians chapter 5, the Apostle Paul says, Be very careful then how you live, not as unwise but as wise, making the most of every opportunity, because the days are evil. Would it be possible to view everything in life as an invitation 
For God is inviting us to surrender to his purposes and not to try to take back control ourselves. I want us to bow our head and if we could just offer ourselves today to him and say, God, I don't understand all these things. And by the way, I'm going to invite the worship team to come. God, I don't understand it all. I don't have control of it all. But Father, I submit to you. Lord, I can see now that life is like a tapestry where on the one side, if I look at the reverse side, I just see tangled mess of thread and it doesn't make any sense. But Lord, when I turn that tapestry over, I look at the front and it's a beautiful picture. And I believe that's what you're doing with my life. And so here's how I want us to respond today. First of all, when Ecclesiastes 3 says there's a time to be born, a time to die, a time for war, and a time for peace, and a time for rejoicing, and a time for mourning, a time for weeping, and a time for, you know, uh, uh, the opposite of that, a time for joy, and all of that. When he says that, yeah, that's life in the world. But Revelation chapter 21, it says that one day God's, the city of God is going to come down to earth. God is going to fill the earth with his presence, and he's going to make everything right, and there'll be no more tears, no more weeping. There'll be no more death, no more sickness. That will become a thing of the past. So let's today do this. Would you say right now, Lord, help me to appreciate your divine perspective on life. Help me to see it from your point of view. Lord, help me to accept the various rhythms of life, the good and the bad, and not complain. Help me, Father, to be content to not have to understand everything and still find peace knowing that you're in control. And Lord, help me with my limited understanding to let you teach me how to walk in humility and surrender. I realize, Father, that you can use all the good, the bad, and the ugly to accomplish your purpose for me and for us. And so, Lord, today I draw near to you so that you can satisfy me, you alone. You are the bread of life, and you offer me the water of life. My soul thirsts for you, my body longs for you in a dry and weary land where there is no water. Thank you, Lord. You are good, and you make everything beautiful in its time. In Jesus' name, amen. And now let's watch this. There is a time for everything and a season for every activity under heaven. A time to be born and a time to die. A time to plant and a time to uproot. A time to kill and a time to heal. A time to tear down and a time to build. A time to weep and a time to laugh. A time to mourn and a time to dance. A time to scatter stones and a time to gather them. 
time to embrace and a time to refrain. A time to search and a time to give up. A time to keep and a time to throw away. A time to tear and a time to mend. A time to be silent and a time to speak. A time to love and a time to hate. A time for war and a time for peace. Your time is now. Make the most of it. <laughs>